Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his own life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure, reassure our heart before him. For when, uh, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we love, well, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing this morning? Awesome. Well, thanks, Danielle, for reading the word for us this morning. Thanks for everybody joining us online. We're glad you're here joining us this morning. Before I get started, let me just take a moment to pray so that we can get our hearts right to receive what God has for us this morning. God, I thank you for our time together. May we lean in to your word. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would make these truths alive in us this morning. Give us hearts that are ready to receive your word and help it to grow within us so that we can be more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So little children love one another. That was the message of John the Apostle. And now while he was with Jesus, he was a son of thunder. And then he wrote his gospel, and he was the disciple that Jesus loved. And today he is known as the Apostle of Love. It's been said that while the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, John writes to the family. And so in this letter, you get a sense of a loving father or a tender grandfather who is writing these things to the church of his time and for us today as well. As we've been talking about in this series, John has many reasons for writing this letter, but mainly it's so that you can be sure that you have salvation. And so thus the title of the series, Are You Sure? And our key verse comes from chapter 5, verse 13, where John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have 
eternal life. And if we were to expand this word know, it would be more like to know with absolute certainty that you have eternal life. Or if you've been in the church world for any length of time, maybe you've heard the phrase to know that you know that you know. And that's what we're looking at. You can know that you have salvation. And so John, the apostle of love, he writes, little children love one another. And as Pastor Roger started out this series, he talked about how the Apostle John is, at this time he was in his 80s to maybe even 100 years old, and he would go to these different churches and he would stand up in front of the expectant crowd looking for his wisdom and his knowledge of what Jesus did and taught, and he would just simply say, little children love one another. And as the story goes, sometimes it would frustrate people and they would say, John, why is that the only thing you ever say to us? And he says, because it is the commandment of the Lord, and if this one thing be attained, it is enough. And you might say, well, the Bible has a a lot of things that we should do, that we ought to do. How is loving one another enough? But it comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you, love, if you have love for one another. You see, at this time, the apostle John had at least 60 years to ponder all the things that Jesus taught him and the other disciples and everything he did, and he's been able to meditate and think about what that means, that Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins, and then he rose to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And John's message is simple, love one another. In the first half of the letter of John that we've covered in the past few weeks, he focuses on the phrase, God is light. And here in verse 11 of chapter 3, there's a shift from God is light to God is love. And so if I could summarize John's message to us so far, it would be something like, you can be sure you have eternal life when you abide in the light and the love of God. And so verse 11 starts out this portion of scripture we're looking at this morning. And John says, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And so in the Bible, there's several different words for love. There's the word eros, which means a romantic love. I like to think of Cupid's arrows as a way for me to remember what this, this word means. Additionally, there's storge, which is a familial love. So it's like a parent to a child or a brother to a sister or maybe aunts and uncles or yes, even your in-laws. You have this storge love. Another word for love is philia. And it's this deep friendship, the love that develops between two friends, possibly even lifelong friends. Pastor Roger mentioned that you can meet a Christian for the first time and you, have this, you may have this immediate connection. It's this philia type of love because we have the same spirit within us and we have common ground in our belief in Christ. But in, the gospel, or in this first letter of John, he uses the word love more than any other time in all the other New Testament books and each time it's the word agape. And this is God's love. This is the highest, most supreme form of love. It's pure and it's 
conditional, and it's sacrificial. And so when he says love one another, he's saying agape one another. And even when John uses the term beloved, it's the word agapetos, which is loved ones. He's using what Jesus taught, this message that you've heard from the beginning, as a positive example of how we are to love as Jesus loved us. But then he continues in verse 12 with a negative example. And he says that we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And so we can see the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, and it's really an interesting story to study some of the nuances about what was going on. And there's even a really neat connection from the previous chapter when uh, God says to the serpent that he'll create enmity between his offspring and God and Eve's offspring. And then this ties directly with the story of Cain and Abel in the next chapter. But the gist of it is that God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's offering. But instead of Cain receiving the correction from God, he allowed a root root of bitterness to grow deep within him and a tree of hatred to raise up against his brother Abel. And so he murdered him. And then he lied about murdering him. You see, John is telling us that Cain was of the evil one, his father, the devil. And if you remember so far in this study of 1 John, there's kind of been this dichotomy between the children of God and the children of the devil. And in some sense, we're all children of God because God created us all in his image. But John is making a distinction between the children of God and the children of the devil. And it's those that believe in Jesus Christ that have been given the right to be called children of God. So it's a special standing based on our belief in Jesus Cain was of the evil one, his father, the devil. The Bible says the devil is the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. And so Cain, just like his father, he murdered Abel. But on the flip side, Hebrews 11 verse 4 tells us that by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. So we see this difference. Cain is a child of the devil But Abel was a child of God whose faith and relationship with God produced a practice of righteousness in his life instead of a practice of lawlessness like we talked about last week. And so the Apostle John continues and he says, don't be surprised that the world hates you because if Cain hated Abel and the world hated Jesus, how much more so will the world hate you? In Matthew 10, 22, Jesus says, And you will be hated for all by, my, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that you are blessed when the world hates you because your reward is great in heaven. And he says that for they, they um, persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if they hated the prophets of God who came before you, how much more would the world hate you? Jesus said in his great priestly prayer that the world hates you because you're not of this world. And he's asking God the Father not to take you out of the world, but to protect you in this world from the evil one. I like how John, with his 
60 plus years of thinking about all that Jesus said and taught, he's really pulling everything in 1 John from what we read about in the Gospel of John, the things that Jesus taught him. And so it says, don't be, don't be surprised that the world hates you. I'd like to say, maybe be shocked if the world loves you, right? Because as a child of God, we're supposed to follow the things that God says. And if we're following closely with God, then there's going to be someone in this world that hates us. And so I want to ask you this question this morning. How strong, how bold is your witness for Christ? Because really, there should at least be one person in your life that doesn't like you because you're following Jesus. It's just what happens Verse 14 continues, and it says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Those are some strong statements. So we're in this series, Are You Sure? And John is writing so that you can be sure. It says, we know because we love the brothers. And when it's talking about brothers, it's talking about fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, there's a distinction being made between the world, those of the world, and the children of God, those who believe in Jesus and who are following him. It says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And so John is equating hate with murder, and the reason why is because Jesus did the same thing. Hate is murder. And on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And so maybe we don't literally go around murdering people, right? But I want to point out a few things that maybe we should be careful of, and they really have a lot to do with the things that we say or the things that we think. So have you ever been frustrated with someone or angry at someone, and you either thought to yourself or said out loud, I'm going to kill him? I know I have. Or maybe with my kids, you know, come on, you guys are killing me. They're not literally killing me, right? Maybe I'm being a little hyperbolic, But the Bible says that you will know a a tree by its fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. What kind of fruit am I displaying in my life? Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So these things that I'm thinking or these things that I'm seeing makes me think, like, what is in my heart? We need to look into ourselves and find these things out because Proverbs says that death and life or in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I don't want to eat the fruit of bitterness or hatred. So instead of thinking, man, you guys are killing me, just maybe I'll just say, hey guys, knock it off. You know, <laughs> you know better. The second thing I want to bring up is gossip. And maybe it's not literally murdering somebody, but it is character assassination, right? Because what you're doing is you're speaking in such a way about somebody that the next time the person you're talking to them about gets into contact with them, they're seeing them through this lens and this perspective of the bad things that you've said about them. People will rise or fall 
to what you say about them. So if you're constantly berating somebody, or can you believe what Susie did last night? Or man, my wife just can't get this through her head. Or man, my husband did this. He never treats me right. These are the things that are character assassinations towards other people. And I was, as I was kind of talking about this with my wife, Danielle, that I was, I was planning on bringing up gossip because the Holy Spirit was really speaking to me that this is one of the ways that we're murdering our brothers and sisters is when we're talking about them behind their backs. And she shared with me that it, at the intercessory prayer meeting, they were praying against gossip in the church and in the body of Christ because it's, it really is something that causes division and disunity. And instead, we should be united together in love for one another And so I have this picture that they shared at intercessory prayer, and if it's a little hard to read, don't worry, I'm going to read it out for you guys. So uh, it's this sort of flow chart, and at the top it says, somebody offends me. And we have two choices. We can tell people all about it, or we can go directly to God in prayer. And if we gossip and we tell people all about it, it leads to the listeners beginning to think less of my offender, and then they join me in speaking negatively about my offender. I'll tell you, when I, if I've ever been gossiping about somebody, it's real easy for other people to just jump in, right? Get on that gossip bandwagon. And what does it lead to? It says, I have succeeded in causing others to sin, creating division in relationships, making myself more upset by rehashing the details over and over. How many times have you guys done that in your head? Those conversations that you don't actually have with somebody, that can skew your, your thinking about them. And then it says, directly, knowingly, and willfully disobeying God's word by reacting according to my flesh rather than submitting to the Spirit. But instead of telling people all about it, we can go directly to God in prayer. And the beauty is that he listens to us and gives us his better perspective on the offense And then it leads to, I feel peace. The need to vent to others is gone. I have honored God by valuing unity over the very temporary pleasure of gossiping, gaining sympathy from others. And so we should think about the words that we speak and the thoughts that we have towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And John continues in verse 16. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so I'm finally getting to the first blank on our outline this morning. And first, we should love others sacrificially. John is saying that we should lay our life down, because the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's exactly what Jesus did. And if Jesus gave his one life for us all, how much more should we lay down our lives for one another? Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. What a father, what a friend, what a savior he is. Jesus laid down his life to bring reconciliation between us and God. You see, because We have all sinned, the Bible tells us, and this sin causes division and disunity with us and God. And so one of the reasons Jesus laid down his life was to bring reconciliation between us and the Father. 
And I want you to write this down on your outline. Someone has to die. Someone has to die for there to be reconciliation. Do you have a relationship in your life that you want restored? Maybe it's between you and your husband or you and your kids, or maybe with an ex-spouse. Or maybe it's between a sister that you haven't talked to for decades, but neither of you remember why you were angry at each other, right? That old cliche. Someone has to die to bring reconciliation to the relationship. It's either going to be them or it has to be you. And John is telling us that it ought to be us. If someone has to lay down their lives as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should love others sacrificially as he did and lay our lives down because that's the only thing that's going to bring reconciliation. So I encourage you, if you have someone in your life that you want relationship restored with, you have to die. And that's, that's easier said than done, I know. But that's part of it being a sacrifice. John continues in verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Not only do we love sacrificially, but we love practically. And this may also involve sacrifice. Maybe we need to sacrifice some of our comforts so that the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ can be fulfilled. And maybe they can experience some comfort. Maybe they can experience some buffer room in their lives as their needs are trying to be met, but they keep coming up against walls. James 2 tells a similar story, and he says this, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? What good is that? And I want to join James and John in saying, if God gives you more than you need, but you don't allow it to overflow to others, what good is that? We need to love practically and we need to love sacrificially. And then verse 18 continues saying, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And it's not saying don't, don't say things that are loving. It's saying don't love merely by word or talk, but do something practical to help your brothers and sisters. And so I want to give us an opportunity this morning to get a little practical. And if you, as you were coming in, you should have gotten a Connect card this morning. If not, there's some on the table as you leave. Or you can scan the QR code on the back of your outline this morning. I want us, if you have a need, fill out the portion that says, I'd like to sign up for. And then under that, put love one another and write out your need. Make sure your name, number, and email is on it. And if you would like to help out someone here in this church today or here watching online today that has a need, if you think you can help fulfill a need, whatever it might be, put love one another under I'd like to sign up for and say I'd like to help. Make sure your name and number is on it. And these will find their way to me and myself and my wife Danielle will try to coordinate people with needs and people who want to fill these needs. And I can't make any promises that we're going to be able to fulfill any, any and all need, but what I want to do is give us an opportunity to practice what's being preached this morning, what's, what the Apostle John is talking about, loving others sacrificially and loving others practically. 
So if you have a need, write it down. And if you want to help, write it down as well. And then together we can live out what we're learning this morning, what we're learning through the study of 1 John. It continues in verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, agapetos, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I want to pause in the middle of this verse 21. On the back of your outline, there's a section that says, by this we shall know. And the first blank there is we abide in God's love. By this we shall know. We abide in God's love. And John is is calling back to verses 14 and verse 18. By this we shall know, because we love the brothers, verse 14, in deed and in truth, verse 18. I found this quote from St. Augustine that really hits the point home on verse 14. And he said this, Let each go to his own heart. If he find their love to the brethren, let him feel assured that he has passed from death unto life. And so are you sure that you have salvation, that you, have, that you are in the truth? One way to do that is to love the brothers and sisters in Christ in deed and in truth. So a question for us this morning is, do you love God's children? It says our hearts are reassured, and that word reassured means something more like to persuade or to convince our hearts that we are children of God, that we have eternal life, that we are of the truth. And when we persuade or convince our heart, we experience freedom in relationship with God because of the reality that we are his children. The Bible says in Romans 8, there is now, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When Pastor Taylor was preaching a few weeks ago. At the end of his message, he presented this story of a court case. And in it, the devil was accusing the defender. And I found this quote by Charles Spurgeon, which reminded me of this story of how we were in this court case. But instead of the devil accusing us, here in John, it's talking about how our hearts can also condemn us. And Charles Spurgeon says this, Sometimes our heart condemns us, but in doing so gives a wrong verdict. But we have the satisfaction of taking the case to a higher court where God is greater than our hearts. Because even if we feel shame and we feel guilt, if our heart is condemning us, if our conscience is condemning us, even then we have the faith to know that God knows our hearts. God is greater than our hearts. He knows our desires. He knows that we want to follow him and lead into him. So we can be confident in that, even if our heart is trying to condemn us and deceive us. And so, verse 21, I'll start it over again. It says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments. And do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. By this we shall know. First, we shall know because we abide in God's love. 
And by this we shall know we abide in God's truth. So another question for you this morning is, are you obeying his word? And are you conforming your life to his standards? There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but if if you have the Holy Spirit within you because of your belief in Jesus Christ, when you step outside of his truth, you experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it's like what Pastor Luis was preaching about, where there's this sense that you can feel the Holy Spirit saying, you're not walking in my truth. Get over here, right? Get back to God. Get under his truth. Are you obeying God's word or are you not obeying his word? Jesus says in John 17, he's praying to God the Father And he says of God that your word is truth. And he asks that he would sanctify those that believe in his name in his truth. And he talks about abiding in him and doing so, and in doing so, his words abide in us. And I thought it was interesting, uh, Pastor Taylor's transition and communion, when he talked about that word observe, meaning to keep or to guard it's a similar definition for abiding. We keep, we remain in his presence. And in doing so, his word remains in us. And so the call is to read the Bible, to study the scriptures, and to meditate them on them so that his word abides in us. As we abide in him, his words abide in us. And so instead of speaking bad things about people, instead of gossiping behind people's back, instead of saying, oh, I'm going to kill him, we speak truth and we speak life because that's what's in our hearts. That's what's abiding in us. And then I think of the, God, the armor of God. And we have all these defensive things that we, we receive in Christ. We have the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, among other things. But the one offensive weapon is the Spirit of God the sword, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And so we must abide in Christ so that His Word abides in us, so that when our heart condemns us, or when the devil condemns us, or when the world is coming against us, hating us for what we believe and who we believe in, we can say, no, 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 the Bible says this. This is what the Word of God says about me and who I am. Or maybe even if somebody's gossiping about somebody else, you can just say, no, we don't need to gossip God says that they're a child of God, that they're his child, and we need to treat them that way. So really it comes down to, are you obedient to God's word or not? Do you accept the authority of the Bible in your life? And really a question that we need to be thinking about is, do we follow what the Bible says is truth and what the Bible says is right? Or do we follow what culture and what society and what the world says is right, and what the world says is truth. Because so often, they're complete opposites. You can't follow the word of God and also follow what the world says. They're complete opposites, and they bump heads, and that's part of the reason why the world hates you. Be shocked, though, if the world loves you. Maybe if the world loves you, if you don't have somebody in your life that doesn't like you, maybe you're not following closely to the word of God. Maybe you don't believe all the things that the Bible says, and maybe you're not walking in obedience to his word. And that's something we need to seriously consider. If we're going to call ourselves Christians and children of God, are we going to act like it or not? Are we going to be like Jesus, or are we not going to be like Jesus? So that's the the call this morning. It's to obedience to God, 
It's to believing in the name of his son Jesus and loving one another as he commanded, commanded us. Because whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And so as I begin to close, I'd like to call the band up so that we can get some nice music playing while I finish out here. And we get more back into an attitude of worship. But this section of John, 1 John chapter 3, ends with verse 24. And it says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So the third blank there, by this we shall know God's Spirit abides in us. Romans 8 tells us that his Spirit bears witness with our Spirit that we are children of God. And I think about having the Spirit abiding in us, and immediately I think of the fruit of the Spirit. And the first fruit of the Spirit is love. I have to believe it's first for a reason. Love one another. That's the command. That's what John is calling us to. That's what Jesus told his disciples to do. Love one another. And as I'm ending here, I want to read a portion from John chapter 17. As I mentioned, John pulls a lot of his material for this letter directly from the words of Jesus So in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, Jesus is praying to God the Father. This is called the high priestly prayer. In verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, talking about the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's you and I, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the word may so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love which with you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus in this prayer, he's painting this beautiful picture of the Trinity of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who before the world began, before time itself began, were in perfect unity of love with one another, of peace and of righteousness with one another. And the beautiful thing is that if we believe in Jesus, we are given the right to be the children of God. And it's through this that we are invited into this perfect unity, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We get to be a part of this wonderful trinity 
with which love is at the center. And so I don't know exactly where you are today, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or you've never committed your life to him. But I want to give everyone an opportunity this morning that if, if you haven't been saved, if you're not sure that you have eternal life, if you're not sure that you are a child of God, I want us to pray together because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall sh- have fallen short of the glory of God. And as we've all sinned, there's this debt that has to be paid. And in order for there to be reconciliation, someone has to die. And Jesus laid down his life for us. And so he paid the debt that we can never pay ourselves. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and payday is coming at some point. And so either you're going to receive the payment of death, or if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll have the reward of eternal life with Christ. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it says that if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the beautiful thing is that once you commit your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you so that Jesus lives inside of you, so that the Father lives inside of you, so that his word abides in you, and you experience this love that has existed from all eternity. You experience peace, and you experience life, and you experience a relationship with God. And so I'd ask for everyone to pray this along with me, whether you've prayed it a similar prayer before or if this is your first time. And it's not these words that save you, but it's you meaning it in your heart that you believe Jesus died to pay the penalty of your sins and that through belief in him, you have new life. So everyone pray this with me. God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus who died on a cross to save me from my sins. I repent of my sins. I don't want to do what I've always done. I want to follow you. I pray that you would come into my life and that you would make me new and that I would experience your love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, I believe and we believe here that if you've prayed that prayer and you believe it in your heart, you will be saved. And so I just want to welcome you. If this was your first time, welcome to the family of God. And now love one another. And as I get ready to exit this stage here, I just want to leave you with a prayer from the Apostle Paul from Philippians chapter 1. And this really is my prayer for all of us this morning. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to meet this morning. 
Thank you for your word that abides in us and that transforms us more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. God, I ask that we would meditate on these words and everything we've learned this morning throughout this week and that you would make it real to us, that we would know your love and that we would share your love with others. We worship you and we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.